play those games and you go, you know, do over. Usually when things didn't go your way. Remember that? Wait, wait, let's have a do over. It's like a mulligan in golf. It's like, a uh, bad shot. I think I'll do that one again. Then if you hit another bad one, I, I don't know what you, you know, then, then, then it's just whatever. I mean, how many mulligans do you get in a game of golf? How many do-overs do you get in life? Well, time, you get no do-overs. You have regrets over the past year? I do. Things you said that you wish you wouldn't have said. Things that you did that you wish you wouldn't have done. As I look back over, over our, this last year, I can definitely say 2012 was not a boring year for the Jarmans. Adopt a kid. Now my daughter's engaged to be married. It's very exciting. It was definitely an exciting year, and uh, we've had so much to be thankful for and, and as we reflect on last year. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what God wants to do in and through us. Um, but we can't have 2012 back. But here's what we get with Christ. Philippians chapter 3, and I want to start by reading this. Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can just listen. Because it's interesting, as we read the Word of God, that it's very powerful. The words themselves are powerful, but if you think about it in context of when Paul wrote this and how he wrote this, it's very interesting. He's writing this letter from prison. He was arrested for preaching the gospel, and uh, he was being persecuted. Interestingly enough, Philippians, one of, the, uh, one, one of the titles that is given by some theologians is a book of joy. And how could you write a book of joy, a letter of joy, being in prison? And because Paul found something that he, he said, my joy is not going to be based on my circumstances. My joy is going to be based on who I am in Christ Jesus. Because that's where true joy is found. But here's what he writes. He said, Whatever was to my profit, in verse 7 of Philippians 3, whatever was my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, whatever I've gained. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish or like garbage. In other words, all my accomplishments, all the... Maybe all the stuff that I've gathered, it's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. He said, I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Relationship. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And here he is in prison and he's experiencing some suffering, but he's like, even in the suffering, I can find Christ in a new way, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And I love this because he says, not that I've already obtained all this. He's saying, I'm not speaking from a place that I've got it all, that, that I've obtained it, I've got it all figured out, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press forward. I, pr I take hold. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and here's a great passage for us as we think about the, the, the last year. We maybe reflect on regrets, but he says this, I forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Grab hold of that passage for your life. And again, you think of Paul sitting in this prison, suffering, and this is not like our prisons today. This is a first century dungeon, and he's chained, and he's writing this, reflecting on what he has in Jesus. He said, you know what? Even all the earthly accomplishments, and he had accomplished some major things, even all of that is garbage compared to knowing Christ. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. And you think Paul maybe reflected on some regrets that he had? 
Because there again, look at context. Here's Paul who had before helped round up Christians to be killed and martyred. He was a witness to some of them. He watched people get stoned to death just because they were following Christ. This is before he knew Christ. Can you imagine having that on your conscience? You think that maybe he's reflecting, maybe on the past with a little bit of regret? Can you understand where he's at a little bit? Maybe not to that degree, but this is an extreme degree. But can you maybe look back and you reflect and you go, man, I've made some horrible decisions. Made some mistakes and I'm sometimes filled with shame. And I bet you, Paul, I bet you he wrestled with some of that. The shame of maybe remembering faces of people that were stoned to death just because they were believers in Christ and maybe some of the images of those people's faces that he couldn't erase from his mind and he had some of the regret and he's like, I can't believe I did such a thing. And in this part of this letter where he's writing to the Philippians, he's sitting in this prison and he's, he's, he's saying, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. The freedom from that the freedom from those mistakes, the freedom from those thoughts. I have that in Christ. There's nothing like knowing Christ. And then he's able to, in Christ, this is what we have in Christ. And we can't have 2012 back. You can't get any do-overs, but here's what you have in Christ and what Paul was saying. I forget what lies behind. And I press on, I take hold of the prize which I have in Christ Jesus. Because the prize is Christ Jesus. You know, if you're like most, you go into a new year with goals. I talked about that earlier, resolutions, thoughts in mind for what kind of a year you're hoping it to be. We say, you know, the the, the phrase happy new year, but... How would we describe what a happy or good year is? And I think it's great to say that. I'm not saying don't say that. I'm just saying, well, how do we define what a happy new year? And it can mean a lot of things for different people. Some are content with just having an average year. And if you've been through a lot of drama, you know, you've, you've heard it said, you know, I, I could take a little boredom for a little while. You know, just the same old, same old, just, you know, nothing awesome, nothing bad. Just, you hear people will say, you know, how you doing? Uh, well, can't complain. Nobody's sick. We're paying the bills. We feel pretty good for the most part, et cetera. That, that, some people say that, that's, that defines a good year for me, just kind of coast along. Or you want to attain to a certain financial level or Again, you know, that you can get through the year with nobody going through any hard thing, that you can somehow get some comfort and and keep major life circumstances down to a minimum. Some would describe that as, you know, just kind of the good life. Ease, comfort, nothing big, nothing, just the good life, just just cruise on through. Let me blow that up for you a little bit here, because as people of God, that's not his goal for your life. We've been called and we've been chosen by him for something better. What did Paul say? Paul didn't say, I'm just content to forget what lies behind. You know, that's, that's freedom enough. You know, I can get some kind of some healing from my past. I like that he doesn't stop there. He didn't say, I have regrets, I made some mistakes, and God has healed the past. But then he's, he, he doesn't stop there. He, he goes on and he says, I, I press on. I, I, I take hold of the prize. I, I take hold of the high calling that I have in Christ Jesus because there's a destiny and purpose for my life. And here he said it from prison. He's writing and he says, God's got a plan for me. You know, and other, maybe the inmates, you know, they, they read me what you got there. And he's sitting there reading it. And they're like, you know, do, do you understand? You're chained like me. What do you mean? And in Christ, I'm free. Because, see, I, I, I think that sometimes we have to let go of the good to get the best. 
As Christians, we sometimes talk about getting out of our comfort zones and the need to do that. But when it happens, it's tough. I mean, case in point, when we went through this adoption process, you know, before you have kind of this expectation or you have thoughts, I mean, we're all human beings, we do that. You romanticize it, you have, this is going to do like this, and we're going to see him, and he's going to open up his arms and jump and say, Daddy, and that'll be his first words, and I'll throw him up, and there'll be music and butterflies, and it'll be beautiful. And you have all these things in your mind. Maybe that's just me. Sorry. You, know, you guys are like, you're a weirdo. But you know, it was tough because he didn't just take to us. And, you know, he's crying at night. And my wife can really understand what I'm talking about here to a greater level than me. But it's a major adjustment to your family. And one of the things that we talked about is, you know, we really believe that God is getting us out of our comfort zone. And it's easy to say that until it happens. You know, God, get us out of our comfort zone. He's like, okay. Because, see, we like to get out of our comfort zones when we are able to define what that means. Isn't that true? But God allows those things because he wants the best for us. He wants us to let go of the good to get the best. I'm a steak lover. Any steak lovers here? Love steak, a good steak. Sorry for you other people. Man, you just miss out. But growing up, you know, my, my dad was in the Air Force, so we didn't have a lot of money. And so, you know, every once in a while, dad would buy steak, but he, they'd buy this low-end, you know, low-grade steak. And, and my mom and dad, dad's, God bless him, he hears this online. I love you, dad, but... Uh, and I've teased them about this before, but they, they think that a steak is uh, charred to beef jerky. <laughs> and that steak, you know, and growing up, you know, you dip enough of that, you know, you get enough A1 and you can make anything taste good. And, and you know, and that was steak growing up. And then I got to experience, and I love the name of this place, the Great Steak. Not in the mall, the great. I'm talking about, it, it's a place in Virginia. It's G-R-A-T-E, Great Steak. We had heard about this. It's Nebraska grain-fed beef. The Womstads probably know a little bit about that. Come on. <laughs> I only heard stories about Nebraska grain-fed beef. You know, people said, I'm like, well, what's so, what's so great about Nebraska? You know, I mean, except my wife was born there in Omaha. So that's a great gift. I didn't know about the steak. But they tell you know, the, the, the grain-fed beef in Nebraska. So we went to the Great Steak. And you know, the steak there is like that thick. And it's, you know, it's one of those places where you like maybe just go on Valentine's Day. And, and I tell you when, you, when I put that in my mouth, I was like, okay, this is steak. <laughs> I didn't know what steak was before this. Because I had settled. You get in your mind of... Eh, it's good, it's okay, you know, it's steak, you know, I grew up, and you like that, dad's beef jerky. <laughs> but this was unbelievable. It was, you ha I mean, it was just like arresting your taste buds good. As they say in the South, enough to make you slap your mama. <laughs> they do say that, by the way, I have no idea where that came from, but it sounds very violent, but... But have you settled in life? Have you just settled for beef jerky steak? When God has something else for you? Are you just kind of going through the motions, hoping that for the good life, that I hope not to just be that uncomfortable and I just kind of coast through? God wants the best for you. I love Psalm 84, and I'm going to be moving kind of into the kind of the, the heart part of the text here, or the message here, but Psalm 84, I love the psalmist. He says this, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verse 10. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. This is from the Old Testament. This is before Christ. He said, my soul, and I want you to hear his words. He says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. 
Then verse 10, he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you hear his heart? He said, my soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. What's he talking about there, the courts of the Lord? In the Old Testament, you know, they, this is before Jesus came. You know, Jesus came and when he died on the cross and, and then he rose from the dead, he ascended. Well, you know, the, the Holy Spirit came and that's why Jesus said, it's good that I go away. And on, at his death, the, 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 the temple curtain tore from top to bottom and, and, and it was God making a statement because before that time, only the high priest could go into the very presence of God once a year that curtain ripped from top to bottom while Jesus was on the cross, and it's as if, if God was saying, I never wanted that to be there in any way, and I want to be with my people, and I want you to be in my presence. But back in those days, they would have to go into the courts of the temple area. And so what these people were doing, and the psalmist is saying, he said, you know, I, I long for your courts. I long for the court. My, 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 my soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. And in the courts, you know, and, and, and most of them, the majority of them could not go into the Holy of Holies, but they could only go into the outer courts, and, and it speaks of the presence of God. In other words, they were saying, even in these courts, this is as close as I can get to you, but I'm going to get as close as I can possibly get. And my heart, my soul yearns for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of God to be close to him. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalmist, he's saying, God, there's none like you. Even like what Paul, he said, there's nothing, nothing like knowing Christ, nothing like the presence of God. Everything else is garbage compared to it. Then he even makes this bold declaration, as better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I'd even, I'd even rather guard the door and be near you than to live a worldly life. Here he says, to, to, to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Because sin, the Bible says sin is enjoyable for a season. You know, if we try to tell people that sin is not fun, you know, sin is enjoyable for a time, but it has a huge price tag. And in time, it will destroy you. And that's what he's saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a servant in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. To live a life that's going to lead to destruction or live a life with God with no regrets. Because if you want a zero regrets life, live for God. Living for him has no regrets. And so when we read that, is that your heart for the presence of God? Do you really, you know, I read that I'm very convicted. Do we really believe that a day in his presence is a better than a thousand Anywhere else? Notice he didn't say, better is one day in your courts or in your presence than, you know, or, or, or better is one day being more religious. Better is one day being a little more moral. No, he said, better is to be with you, be in your presence than a thousand anywhere else. Why would he say that? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. They're, his ways are better than our ways. And see, one of the great gifts, and I said this a couple weeks ago, one of the great gifts of God to humanity is free will. And he said, you can live your life your way or you can live life God's way. It's, it's your choice. I'd rather live it his way. I've tried it the other way. It's, it's no good. With God, it's better because in him we have our sins forgiven. It's the word that Carrie gave earlier. We're loved unconditionally, and his love is better than life. In Christ, we belong to the family of God. Why is his ways better? Because in him we have peace and joy that is beyond circumstances. Because in him we have a purpose and destiny that we were uniquely created for by him before creation. In him, we can wake up each day knowing that regardless of what's going on around us, that we are known by God and that all our days are ordained of him. Why is it better 
one day in his presence because in Christ we have the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us to him every day, to live for him. The Bible says in Christ we have everything we need for life and godliness. Now let me push the pause button. That doesn't mean that in Christ we have no trials, no tribulations, no suffering. Paul Paul would argue with us about that. He, would, he talks about suffering in 2 Corinthians. He dealt with many sufferings, but he was saying, even in my suffering, I know Christ to a greater level. But here's the thing. In, in Christ, he walks with us through those things. I'd rather be in the storm with Jesus than out of the storm without him. There's a guy that we ministered to um, in Florida when I was doing jail ministry. Sammy Williamson, he is in now, he's serving a life sentence in prison for, uh, for, for first degree murder. And one of the things that he said to us, we got to visit with him in prison before we moved to Montevideo. And you know, you're, you're going into these situations and you're not quite sure how they're doing and uh, what they're processing. And, and this guy had really, really caught a true revelation of, of, of the Lord, you know, more than just trying to you know, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll serve you forever. That, that won't last. But he is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. And we visited with him. And my friend Ozzy said, you know, Sammy, how are you doing? And he said something so, that I'll never forget. He said, I would rather be free in prison, free in, on the inside, than to be out there and not have Jesus He said, so I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'd rather be free in prison. And you can only say that in Christ Jesus. One single day, the psalmist says, one single day is better than a thousand anywhere else. It's like, really? Do we believe that? Better than a thousand days in Hawaii? A thousand days on vacation, a thousand days at your favorite place, is really one day in his presence better than that? Better than what we could dream up? And the writer of this psalm was truly convinced of it. And I believe that if we get this revelation, what kind of a year would it be like if we really believed this? If we longed for his presence like that? And so how do we live this out? Great question, because that's the next part of my sermon. Glad you asked. Because I think a lot of times we, we've compartmentalized our time with God. You know, you hear people talk about a quiet time and, you know, your time alone with God. And those things are important to have we, a, a time alone with God. And, but I think sometimes we can have a quiet time with God and then what we have called normal time. God's time and then my time to kind of live life. The reason why I'm talking about this is because I'm going to lead into, um, into three habits that we can develop, that we are living according to the psalm, that, that, that we can live in his presence every day. But I, I, I'm trying to get us to rethink this, this compartmentalizing of time, that we have time with God, I read the word, now it's, I'm on to my time. But I think a, a more biblical approach is, to this, is this, to live with an ongoing, unending awareness of the presence of God in my life. Can we do that? I believe we can. This means that all day, every day, instead of a certain amount of time designated with time as time with God, it's all time with him. And again, I, I said this earlier, but in the Old Testament, the people would come to the temple to get near the presence of God. In the New Testament, we are called the temple. Where he dwells. I love the old song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Because this building, this walls and this stuff is, there's nothing holy about this. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he dwells in, temple, in a temple not made with hands that he comes inside of us, that we are his temple. And then we have to simply let him in individually. We still come together corporately, and we're still supposed to do that, but individually we walk daily in his presence as the temple of God. 
Colossians 3.17, a lot of you are familiar with this. This was uh, one of the uh, scripture memory verses. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, that's working, playing, driving, shopping, spending time with family, friends, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we can do life with God every day no matter what we're doing. So how do we, how do we live day to day with him? I'm going to give you three habits to develop an ongoing, unending awareness of his presence. And again, I, I encourage you, if you're taking notes, write these down. Pray over these. With anything, we have to work at developing life-giving habits. You know, we, we don't just accomplish things because we want to. We have to have an action plan. Here's the wonderful thing about the Lord is we don't have to do it without him. He's, he helps us as we walk along. But these are kind of some life-giving habits on how to have the best year and not just a happy new year. Number one is this, develop the habit of constant communication with God. Develop the habit of constant communication with God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, this is just a portion of that. But I love Paul, he says, be joyful always. Isn't that a challenge? Be joyful all the time. Then he says, pray continually or without ceasing or pray all the time. And then we kind of take a step back and we go, wait just a second, what do you, what do you mean by that? Pray without ceasing, pray all the time. Do you just, you know, lock yourself away, you know, and I'm praying without ceasing. And then you're just mumbling to yourself all through the day, you know, and, and, and you're trying to shut everything out. I'm trying to pray without ceasing. How do we do that? How do we pray all the time? I think we got to understand and realize what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. Conversing reveals relationship. And so basically he's saying, have a continual relationship with God. Pray without ceasing. Have a continual relationship with him. Just like you talk to others. We live in an era of constant communication now, don't we? So communication is everywhere. Cell phones, texting. What did we do before cell phones? Pagers. Pagers. You know, that, that, I mean, what did we do before this technology? Yes, we did. It's a little less stressful. As a parent, though, you know, you're thankful for cell phones because I can track them down anytime and find out, you know, all right, what are you doing? What's going on? Where are you at? It's a great thing. Constant communication, texting. See this a lot, don't you? Isn't it? Uh, I saw an editorial cartoon about a year ago, and it's a table. A family sitting around a dinner table, they're all texting, and the dad's looking around, he goes, well, at least we're eating together. You know, you got the joke that not, families are not eating together anymore, and they're texting together. Thanks, man. That, that was, it just fell down right there. We'll just, we'll, we'll just leave it there. What was not my joke? But constant communication, texting, Facebook is huge, Twitter, these constant bursts of communication. Now, I understand that technology can be very harmful, but it can also be wonderful. Short bursts of communication with those that you love or you're close to. Texting, I think, is a great way to love someone or encourage them. That has that, that taken the place of writing a little note. Don't do it instead of writing. Still write the little note. Nothing like a little handwritten note. All the older people said amen to that. But you know what? Texting is a great way just to have short bursts of communication with people. I, I love love texts from my wife. I could read you one. I got myself. I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, I love you, and I want you to know I th- I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you today. Just a, a little a little shot, uh, just this little burst of communication, just a pause, boom, you get it, it encourages you. So I think we can redeem what we talk about, these short bursts of communication in how we respond to God. That we can start developing, communicating with God like this. I'm not talking about texting God, but I'm thinking of these short bursts of communication with Him. Think of your day with God as continual conversation. 
It doesn't have to be a set amount of time. Now, it's good to set. I'm not saying if you, if you do that, that that's wrong, or if you don't do that. It's good to set aside time with God and, and having some very focused time with God. But sometimes you're going throughout your day, and it's very easy just to forget about God. But look at your day as constant, continual conversa- conversation with Him. Develop a habit in doing that, remembering Him. When you're driving, worship Him. Keep your eyes on the road and don't lift your hands, though. Have you ever gotten lost with the Lord while you're driving? I've done that before, and thank God there was not a policeman around because I was doing like 80 miles an hour just thanking God and just loving. And then you look down, oh my goodness, I better slow down. And then what, how do you explain that one to the cops? Well, well officer, um, I was worshiping the Lord. You should probably let me off because of that. <clears throat> but while you're driving, it can be time with the Lord. Paul says, in everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Thank God for what he is doing for you. God, look at that sunset. Man, you're showing off today. That's beautiful. You're amazing. Look at that. Thank him for what he's done or he has done. Pray for people throughout the day. Lord, touch so-and-so. Lord, you you see what they're going through. And these short bursts of communication with God can just be so rich as a part of your day. Pray for divine appointments from him. That's what Paul's saying. Pray without ceasing. Talk to him. Have a relationship with him. Lord, I'm going into a very tense time. Give me grace. Lord, I'm getting ready to meet with so-and-so, and and Lord, sometimes it's so hard. My boss is getting on my nerves. God, give me grace. Touch them. Give them peace, whatever they're going through. Be aware that he's with you. Cry out to him. Repent when he brings it to your heart. God, forgive me for saying that. Forgive others. Use this as a time. Lord, help me to forgive so-and-so when they've done that or this to me. Ask for strength. Be honest with him. Like David in the Psalms. Lord, I'm having a rotten day. This is hard. I don't, I don't know how to deal with this circumstance that I'm in. This is very difficult. That's why I said earlier, this is not about that, that, that you don't go through trials and tribulations in walking with God, but be honest with Him. It's a part of relationship with Him. What do you do with those that are close to you when you're having a hard day and they say, you know, how was your day? It was lousy. You don't come in the house and start pretending. You come in the house and you're, you're usually yourself having a very difficult day. It's been tense. It's been stressful. Talk to God. Be honest with Him. Also, read the Word. Again, it doesn't have to be a set amount. Meditate on chunks of Scripture. Ask God, what are you saying to me? You take this Philippians passage that I read earlier. God, what are you speaking to me through that? Instead of, again, just this rehearsed thing that we're just trying to get something done and i got to read the Word because that's what I'm supposed to do is, God, speak to me. When Paul says, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. God, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me? What are you speaking to me today? Meditate on chunks of the word. and Because that, that's a part of his communication to us. So develop constant communication with God throughout the day. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it will lift your spirits as you walk with God. Number two is develop instant obedience to God. This is one I struggle with, and that's why as I prepared this sermon, it's, it's something that I, I'm challenged with. Develop instant obedience to God. Because as you're walking out number one in relationship with Him, He will speak to you and prompt you on things. He will convict you because He loves you. It's one of the One of the things that the Holy Spirit says, he convicts us, he counsels us. And so as you are walking in relationship in that constant communication, he will speak to you and prompt you, don't ignore him, obey him quickly. And this can take on many forms. Sometimes if he brings something to your thought, and that's why uh, thought in your mind like on a a sinful thing is, is you say, God, forgive me quickly, 
quickly obey him. God, forgive me. Help me to forgive so-and-so. Help me to walk that out, God. Help me to obey you quickly. It could be to pray for a person that you haven't been thinking of, and boom, it's, it's in your mind, and you know you didn't conjure it up. Have you ever had that happen? You've not been thinking about someone, and then bang, you start thinking about them, and, and you know this is, this is something supernatural. This is how the Holy Spirit communicates. Wow, let me, God, let me pray for that person. I don't know. Lord, you, you know what they're going through. I, I don't even know why they're on my mind right now. But be quick to obey him. You know, out of nowhere, God can put something or someone on your heart. It can be encourage someone. It could be be generous. You know, that you've had those situations where it's like, God, I, I know you see somebody across the restaurant. I know that I'm supposed to pay for their meal. I don't know why. I just have this prompting in my heart. Well, the devil's not going to tell you to do that. Here's an idea. You know, he's just not going to do that. That's probably what the devil sounds like too, right? But be quick to be generous and be, you know, be obedient, being generous. Offer counsel to someone. Love someone. And this is, a, again, a part of number one is being in constant communication with him. He's going to be in constant communication with you. Someone that needs an encouragement. Someone that needs a love text. I just need to do this. I, sometimes I, I, I will have, I'll be praying in here, and I, I, I pray, you know, and, I, and then I'll pull my phone out, and I'm supposed to just, I'm, I'm, I'll be praying for my kids or something, you know, for example, and then I'm just supposed to just tell them, encourage them or something. I'll do that. Don't, don't miss out on the power of that. Galatians 5.25, Paul says this. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's been one of my favorite passages to kind of pray. And if you've been around me, and, and, and maybe you've heard me pray like this, but he, uh, Lord, I don't want to lag behind you. I don't want to drag behind you, and I don't want to run ahead of you. Lagging behind is, you know, that maybe you're a little afraid to, and the Lord's saying, we're going this way. And you're like, ah, I kind of like it back here. But also in presumption that you don't just run ahead of the Lord and say, I know better, and I'm going to run ahead. I don't want to lag behind. I don't want to run ahead in presumption. But he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's be walking side by side in relationship with him. When he speaks, when he prompts, obey quickly. And let me go ahead and give you a gospel truth here. Sometimes, most of the time, it's not convenient. And that's, again, that's, I, I'm challenged by this. It's, a lot of times it's not convenient to your time or your resources. These divine setups, allow it to happen. Why should we obey him quickly? So that we discern better and then he trusts us more. Keeping in step with the Spirit means that we have to have our spiritual ears and eyes in tune with him. Open the eyes and the ears of my heart, my understanding. It's a part of that relationship. And it's a daily adventure with him. That you're not just going about your day just to kind of cruise through and get to the end of the day with no major problems in your life. Is you get to walk with him in adventure. My wife is very good at this with promptings. And she, she helps remind me of, of, of those times where, I mean, she walks in it too at a level that is, is pretty amazing where she was like, wham, I, I, I've been burdened for so-and-so, and, and I want to pray for them. And, and then sometimes she kind of gets upset at herself. She goes, man, I was thinking of so-and-so, and I didn't pray for me. I, I need to be obedient to that. But she walks into at a level that is unlike anything I've seen, and she helps remind me. But it's a daily adventure. Talk to him. Be ready for him to prompt you and lead you by his spirit. And that's why the psalmist is better is one day with you. Better is one day in your presence. Better is one day living an adventure with you to see lives being touched by the power of God, to go out and spread the light of Jesus, a timely word, a gift, where somebody says, I felt led to pray for you today. As a pastor, I mean, I, I, you, you won't believe some of the times some of you people have encouraged me at such strategic times, and you have no idea. An email, uh, a note of saying, I, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and praying for you. You have no earthly idea. I can't even explain to you. There'll be a time where you're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of something very, very hard. And you get one of those, it, it, it just lifts the load off of you. 
Walk in that. So develop a continual, consistent communication with God. Develop instant obedience to God. Thirdly is develop a daily desperation for God. The psalmist says that in, in Psalm, my soul yearns for you, my heart faints for you. Do you hear how he describes his relationship with God? My soul yearns for you, my heart faints for you. Maybe you don't have a desperation from God, but you want to. Ask him. A lot of times we have simply settled or we get desperate when desperate times come and we have these knee-jerk reactions to the Lord. You know, you go through a hard time and all of a sudden my soul yearns for the Lord because I'm in a real crisis right now. But I believe that God wants us to develop that day-to-day where we're yearning for him every day, not just when things are get, have gotten tough. He didn't create us just to need him in desperate times. But it's, God, I, I need you today. I'm desperate for you today. I need you. I want to want you more. You know, he loves that prayer too, to be honest with him. God, I've not been desperate for you, but I want to want you more. I think that that makes God's heart just jump alive toward you when you're honest with him like that. I've prayed that prayer. God, help me to want you. Help, I want to want you. But what battles this is when we've settled for happiness and the good life based on circumstances. Well, you know, it's just we're consistent. Nobody's, you know, there's no major life struggles. Everything's good to go. You know, we're just kind of cruising. Comfort. That will battle desperation all day, every day. But when we live like that, we miss out on what God has for us. Because what he has is indescribably better. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand filled with comfort, ease, and vacation. Because God, there's nothing like living for you. And so then, as we are developing this, I ask the question, what are you feeding your spiritual appetite with? What do you feed on? Do we settle for things of the earth that only satisfy temporarily? Love Psalm 34a. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is better than any earthly temporary happiness that we could possibly search for. And I want to I read this psalm, the psalm of David, this David's description of relationship with God from Psalm 63. I want you to hear the heartbeat of this. This would be a good one to open up and pray through. Psalm 63. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to read it. Listen to the revelation that David had. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Listen to his words. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And again, more than just neat lyrics to a psalm, think of the imagery that David is drawing here, describing his relationship. And he's saying, I earnestly say, you have to be earnest about seeking God. You have to be intentional to do it. And I love that he talks about thirsty. He said, my, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Think of that, that kind of thirst. He's not talking about, oh, you know, I'm a little thirsty and that drink sounds good. He's talking about, imagine you've gone days without water and you're in a parched and weary land. What a glass of water would mean to you. And that's what he, he said, that's my desperation for God. Is that this is like a dry, parched, weary land where there is no water. And I, that's how I, I long for you like that. And then he says, your love is better than life. And that's why a day with him is better than a thousand anywhere else. Your love is better than life. 
He's saying you won't get anything else that compares to the love of God. And then I even love, he says, I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Man, that's an American passage if I've ever heard one. Because we love to celebrate with feasting. I mean, they feasted back in the Old Testament days and in the, in, in the biblical times they would feast and and we, you know, we have these celebrations on the holidays, Thanksgiving, and you know, Thanksgiving is the overeating day, and uh, you know, and and it's all these rich foods. And as much as you intend to go through that line and say, "Well, I'm only going to eat a little bit this year," it never happens. You get a little bit of everything, and their platter is filled. And uh, very rarely do we go, "You know what? I just can't handle a piece of pie right now. There's just no way." pig-out foods, mouth-watering foods. And he's talking about, he said, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. There's nothing like pigging out on your favorite food. Mine happens to be my wife's homemade tacos. If you've ever had those, I mean, it just almost makes you worship. I love those. I mean, like, what do you want for your birthday meal? It's like a no-brainer. Your homemade tacos. That's what I want. I love those things. I can eat like 12 of them in one sitting and probably shouldn't, but I love those things. And what David is drawing here, he said, I will be satisfied with the richest of food. There's nothing like you, God. There's nothing like your presence. There's nothing like you. I love food, but relationship with you is so much better than even that. And he's drawing these comparisons like water and rich foods. And he says, that's how I want and long for God. And he's saying there's absolutely nothing that compares with having relationship with God. And so this, this way is the, it, it's truly the way to have the best year of your life. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand anywhere else. So just to review these, live each day with him in relationship, constantly communicating with him. Develop that. Don't compartmentalize your time with God. It's all for him. Every moment of the day is with him. As you live with him, live each day intent on obeying him quickly as he speaks to you. Allow him to prompt you. Live on adventure with him. Lord, what are you saying? Who can I encourage today? I recently heard, I can't remember who said this, and if I tried to think of the person, I probably would get it wrong, but they, it sounds like a Joyce Meyer quote, but I don't know if it was Joyce or not, but said, instead of saying, God, here's what I want you to do for me, wake up in the morning and say, God, what can I do for you today? And live that way. And I tell you, God will take you on adventures that you never thought possible to encourage there's nothing better you know and they say it's better to give than to receive that's very true when you bless someone and you see their heart come alive and it can just be an encouraging word there's nothing like that be quick to obey him as he prompts you and then live each day developing a desperation for him and you'll have to work on it i have to work on it god i want you today i need you today Lord, I, I want to be so desperate for you, just like I'm dying of thirst in the desert. That's how I want you, God. And if maybe if you've struggled with that and comfort has kind of led you, ask the Lord, Lord, develop in me a desperation for you. I don't want to live without you. So what kind of year would this be coming forward if you live like this, if we live like this as the church? What would happen to our community? If we would grab hold of this and not just get into the rut of comfort and the rut of life. So in closing, I do not wish you a happy new year. God bless you. <laughs> I'm not done. But I wish and I hope and I pray that you have the best year of your life living with God on purpose, living in relationship with him every single day. So have the best year. Don't have a happy year based on circumstances. But have the best year of your life living with him. Better is one day with Jesus than a thousand anywhere else. Wake up every day and say that, God, today is your day. Better is one day with you. I tell you, you'll get to the end of the year, and no matter what comes your way, whether you have trials, struggle, tribulations, God will have walked with you through it. 
and we can have the best year ever. Let's pray. Will you stand with me as we close? Jesus, we love you so much. And uh, Lord, I, even as I was preparing this, God, it was so convicting to me. Um, and I just want to just personally say, God, I want to want you more. Lord, forgive me when I've gotten so comfortable. When I've just longed for comfort more than longing for you. And Lord, not that you don't give us times of comfort and times of rest. But Lord, when I've ask you to get me out of my comfort zone and in the back of my mind I've got the details of how that's supposed to work out and I'm going to tell you how to get me out of my comfort zone and give you the the game plan God forgive me forgive us Lord forgive us for settling for the good life and and uh, not going after the absolute best that you have for us Lord, may this year be a year that we press into you like never before, that we love you like never before, that we give you every day of our lives in relationship, Lord, constantly talking to you, obeying you promptly, crying out for you every day. Lord, I pray that 2013 would be the absolute best year of our lives, Lord, individually as families and as a church. This would be a year that we would see the light of Jesus shine brighter. We would see people come to know you that we would grow deeper in relationship and love for you, and that, Lord, you would come, that you would lead us and guide us, and, Lord, just as Paul said, that we would live by the Spirit and live in step with the Spirit, Lord, that we would not run ahead of you, we would not lag behind you, that we would be in step with the Spirit. Better is one day with you, Jesus, than a thousand anywhere else. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Happy New Year to you. I said it. Be blessed. Have a great year. And uh, we just thank God for you and and, uh, enjoy your family and uh, enjoy your celebration. God bless you. Yes, Doug. Amen. That's good. God bless you. Yeah, take that word with you and your hearts. Bless you.